All right, guys, welcome back to the Hunting Roots Podcast brought to you by On X. I'm your host, Brody Swisher, and this week we're jumping into a cool conversation with Steve Turpin. I've seen Steve around for years and years. Steve is of the Turpin family, as the name implies, the Turpin family that goes way, way back to Tom Turpin, legendary call maker, champion caller, just a call making guru from back in the day, like 1800s kind of stuff, uh, into the early 1900s, and just a cool story. Steve is on the uh, modern day version of Turpin Custom Game Calls, uh, but again, it goes back to great uncle and uh, uncle's cousins, his dad, and then handed on down to him. And so he's got quite a story of early, early turkey hunting, turkey calling. He's going to talk to us about those old school days uh, when his father and uh, uncles, again, were chasing and killing turkeys along the Mississippi River back in the early, early days, long before any of us were ever even alive. They were making it happen, running gun style, getting into the nasty stuff along the Mississippi River. I know we like to think nowadays that we are innovative and that we're doing something new, something exciting by hunting public ground or going in by boat, going in and chasing river turkeys, public land. But now these guys were making it happen a long, long time ago. And so we're going to hear the story again of Tom Turpin, the uh, legendary call maker. Also kind of hear the story of the trumpet. You know, a lot of us have messed with the wing bone. Uh, it's a call that you can yank literally from the wing of a turkey, take that wing bone, make it into a call. And uh, I've done that over the years. I actually got one right here that I did last year. Took from a gobbler that I killed. My goal was to take this wing uh, bone from this bird and go back this next year and kill the bird that was with him hanging out. He had a Jake turkey with him last year, probably his son, his own lad. And I thought, I'm going to go back this year and kill that other bird that was hanging out with him with the wing bone from his buddy. And so that's kind of maybe barbaric. I don't know, but I like the idea. And so I made this wing bone. And I've been playing with it a little bit. And in my conversation and, and chatting with Steve, you know, he says uh, a trumpet or a wing bone is, is just the same. It's an instrument. It's a stinking instrument. And like any instrument, you've got to learn to play that thing. You've got to practice it. You wouldn't uh, expect to pick up an instrument once a year and be proficient with it, sound good with it. You've got to practice. You've got to spend time with it. And so uh, this is the wing bone. And I've just been doing that a little bit, keeping it right here at my desk with me uh, throughout the day, drive my family crazy, pick it up. Uh, pop off on it a little bit and I'm starting to get the hang of it I'll let you hear it here uh, this is a wing bone from a 2021 gobbler so a deeper sound and wing bone but listen to it right here so that's my little wing bone that I made from last year's turkey again I'm going to the spring woods this year with the goal of killing a turkey on the same farm same spot same field going to call up a turkey with that wing bone but the wing bone has been around since uh, who knows when Surely Indians uh, used it. Early, early hunters used it. Maybe back to biblical days. I don't know, but it's been around uh, longer than we can possibly imagine. Uh, but along the lines, these guys started thinking, hey, you know, how about a more consistent call? And a wing bone is, is, will never be consistent necessarily because every wing bone is going to be a little different. You're going to have a different sound, different size wing, a different size mouthpiece. And so uh, there's a inconsistency from call to call so a guy wanting to make and sell a call would have to come up with his own call and something consistent made out of wood made out of a um, you know some kind of mouthpiece that you could get the same every time and uh, that's where Tom Turpin uh, again 
the Turpin family way back when came up with this trumpet and started making this trumpet call, uh, the Turpin trumpet as it became known. Nowadays, it seems like people just refer to it as the trumpet call. Uh, but again, we're going to take a look at the history of that, get way back to the early roots of the Turpin family, talk turkeys along the Mississippi River hunting and calling turkeys with the Turpin family. Let's get Steve Turpin on the line. Steve, man, what's happening? Oh, just living the dream. Yes, sir. <laughs> Always, man. Yes, sir. Well, it's good to catch up, man. It's been a little while. Usually we run yeah, into each know, other at a show somewhere in WTF or a local show or whatever. I was supposed to go to show down in Georgia, and I canceled that because my, my buddy who helps me in the booth, he got COVID, mm. and his family got COVID. Yep. They're all fine, but, you know, and I'm skipping the NWTF. Just I just don't want to. I know that new strain's a lot weaker, but I if I can dodge it, I'd just soon dodge it. I'd That's rather right. not be in with a group of 50,000 people. Yeah. Well, we, so- used to get, we used to get sick on good years before, you know, got convention crud. Well, that's right. And, you know, it's interesting because I was looking back at at Facebook message or I guess it was a Facebook message. I was looking back at previous, you know, contact I'd had with you. And that was one of the last ones before I reached out to you again this time was, you know, I don't know if it's 2018 or 2019 said, hey, had a great show, uh, came home sick or something, got sick, you know, from the show or whatever, Uh, you know. And so, yeah, that's exactly right. You're you're. Right on the money, man. You know, call it the flu, call it whatever. It a normal year, pre-COVID. You know, everybody comes home sick with some kind of junk and funk and whatever yeah, that they brought back. You're, you're in there with fifty something thousand people and yep. elbow to elbow. Forward. Yep. There was one year I I um my help went up to set up the day before. He got to about Jackson, Tennessee, and started coughing. Mm. And I got up there on Friday. He coughed in the booth Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I felt great. Monday morning, I got up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dad, gentlemen, went straight to the doctor, tested me, flu. I was on Tamiflu yep. within hours of showing any symptoms. Yep. And uh, 17 days before I felt back to normal. Mm, that's crazy. Bad man. case of the flu. And I knew uh, at least. A dozen people who had visited my booth that came down with the flu. Yeah. yeah. That's just what I know of. So, that's right. you know. Yeah. That was, I think that that's just a, it was a different time. You know, people didn't think about it. People didn't think about, you know, you know, you always tell people, oh, cough, you know, don't cough in somebody's face and all the basics of life, you know, but uh, it's a whole different world now that we're thinking about just the spread of stuff and how easy it is. You know, we just never thought about it before. You know, you didn't really think much yeah. about it. Kind of wipe your hand off before you shake somebody's hand or whatever. But some dirt uh, on it, you're good to go. That's right. And uh, it's just a different world now, man. Sadly, uh, we have to worry about so much more stuff. But let's talk turkeys a little bit. Like I said, I want to, I want to kind of hear a little bit of the the history of Turpin. Again, really the history of of Turpin calls and and. Who started it, where it came from, and, and just where it is today. I know you're still peddling the goods, and it's always good to catch up with you at NWTF show and, and all those different uh, venues. And uh, But, man, th- take us back and, and where it came from, Turpin, tur- Turpin Calls, what yeah. they are, where the history of it all came from, and, and uh, again, just kind of the so back it story. All, it all started with my great uncle was Tom Turpin. 
and he started making calls around 1899. Mm. Uh, could have been a few years earlier, but that's that's a rough. Um, we know he was doing it prior to 1900. Yeah. And um, but he started out making them for personal use and you know make them for friends and family, and then people started seeing what he was making. So the demand increased. So he started, he started retailing them, uh, around 1915. Hmm. Um, and then he made them with his younger brother, Inman Turpin, who was my grandfather. Okay. Uh, there was, uh, there was a big difference in their age, 21 years. Yeah. Uh, Tom was the oldest Inman was the youngest, but they made the calls together. Um, Tom was, a prolific writer for outdoor publications, uh, a lot of turkey hunting articles or some crow article or a crow article, a couple of duck. And, uh, but he wrote anywhere from the earliest one we found was 1916. Wow. And, uh, all the way up to about 1945. Yeah. And, And he was also a pioneer in recorded game calls. Okay. So he did, he did the first record on, um, recorded game calls. Uh, he did one side Turkey, one side duck, and he did some crow records later on, uh, in the twenties and thirties. And, um, he also wrote the second book ever written on the subject of Turkey hunting, which was hunting the wild Turkey. Uh, that was, um, that was printed in 1924. Hmm. And, uh, so, but anyway, they, they, Tom and Emmon made the calls together and then eventually because of Tom's age, he delegated a lot of the Turkey, um, and crow portion of the business over to my, um, my granddad and Tom just concentrated on his duck calls. And so last few years, uh, you know, Emmon bought the, the Tom Turpin name rights for the crow business and, uh, was making them under his name and was making and selling the, the like trade calls under the Tom Turpin name until Tom went into a nursing home Yeah, and he really sold what, um, would be considered jointly owned business. Yeah. He sold it. So they sold the name rights for the, the Turkey and the duck call business, um, to help pay for medical. Yeah. Needs. You, know, right. you know how expensive nursing home. Yeah. Is. So, wow. So he, he kind of stepped aside and plus by then anybody who wanted a true Turpin call, they knew to contact Inman. Yeah. And so Tom died in 1957, uh, Inman, uh, passed away in 1959 okay. and, uh, he had a heart attack while turkey hunting on Centennial Island on the Mississippi river. Wow. And then my dad, Hunter Turpin, um, made the calls on, under the, the title of the Inman Turpin company, uh, made those all through the 60s, 70s, 80s. When I came along, um, I started out as a tuner. Yep. I showed a, um, I was a musician and I showed a, a, a real good aptitude in tuning calls. Nice. And so he had me doing that and I'd watch him and, and learn how to do the stuff. 
And then we eventually got to making the calls together. Um, and then on my own and yeah. dad made them all the way up until 2000 when he had a paralyzing stroke mm. and, then, and then he passed away four four years later. Okay. But we've, we've been in it a while, you know, you know, yeah, catch, uh, helping turkeys make bad decisions for over 120 years. That's right. Yeah. I used to have one of those t-shirts you gave me years yeah. ago. And, uh, so yeah, I love that one. And, um, man, that's what a story. So tell me where the family, I mean, I know you're right there in Memphis, I assume still, uh, where was Tom and the rest of the crew is they based out of Memphis or where were they from? Everything is based out of Memphis. Okay. Okay. So, um, they lived in what was Midtown Memphis back right. then. Of course, it was um, like when my parents moved to where I live, which is really in the center of town now. They really thought they were out in the sticks. That's right. You know, yep. nothing grown up. That's right. Yep. But um, and where, where where do those guys have to go? I mean, you're talking about chasing turkeys back. Uh, many, many, many years ago, man, early 1900s, where, where, where was a man to go? Where are they getting on these turkeys? How did they know about turkeys? What, what was the turkey population at that time? So it was, it was actually a low ebb in the population, but they went anywhere where there were turkeys. Yeah. You know, a lot of the old photos that I have, they were, um, taken over in Arkansas. Yep. Um, a lot of the turkeys were all up and down the Mississippi river. And that was kind of a stronghold because these are dangerous, remote areas. Yep. And so it was hard to get to them, yep. you know, and so that's why those pockets really held on. And then, um, but like Tom, Tom was a wealthy man and, you know, he would, if he got word of being Turkey somewhere and being nationally known, somebody would invite him. Well, he'd go. Yeah. And there was a, a famous club up in Maryland called the Woodmont club. And they had, oh gosh, they, they had presidents would hunt there and, and, and Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, um, wow. just senators who's who. Yeah. And, um, I found a article where they had a, a motion picture for, um, that they'd done in the early twenties of, turkey hunting on the Woodmont club. And so wow. they had pictures of the reels from the film yeah. and they showed the, the guy who was actually a, a call maker, a diaphragm call maker, but he was the president of that club. And it was Henry bridges. Wow. Early diaphragm call maker. Yeah. And they showed a picture of him, a close up, and it said Henry bridges calling. Well, he is clearly calling on a Tom Turpin Yelper. Oh no. Wow. So what, what <laughs> I think happened, I can't, you know, I have no way of knowing. I think he probably invited my uncle Tom up there and killed a bunch of turkeys. And he gave him that call as a thank you. Yeah. You know? And so it makes sense. It's what, it's just kind of how we would do. That's right. That's right. And, um, but yeah, they, they hunted them all over anywhere where there was Turkey. A lot of turkeys were in Mississippi and Arkansas, yep. um, a few spots in West Tennessee, but, but a lot up and down that river. Yeah, man. That Mississippi's always held birds and, 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 and as a matter of fact, that's why, um, you know, people were surprised that I didn't, I wasn't allowed to Turkey hunt until I was 15 years old mm. and they're like, wow, that's a late start. We thought you would be going with your. 
And I said, you got to remember, all these turkeys were in dangerous remote river bottoms. There was no going in the back of, of Farmer Brown's field. He's got a flock of turkeys back there. There were none. Yeah. And yeah. so my dad felt that you had to be a more mature age to hunt those dangerous places. I mean, his father had, had passed away and, you know, hunting on an area like that. And, yeah. and so 15 was the, the, the age and it was a good rule for the yeah. time. Yeah. And even if, you know, people would say, you know, why didn't you go with him? And I said, well, what, what, what if something happened to him? You right. know, as a little kid, I couldn't have gotten out of there. That's right. And so yeah. he wasn't real willing to risk, you know, That's risk right. it. Were they hoofing it in, going in by boat and some of these places by along boat, the river? A lot, yeah. Yeah, boating in on them. Yeah. Yeah, they'd hunt Brandywine Island, Centennial Island, you know, all those Cow Island, all up and down the river. There's a whole bunch of them. And they, they, they all had good populations of turkeys. Yeah. And that was, you know, where a lot of the turkeys um, across the entire state of Tennessee came from. That's right. Yeah. Because, you know, they Shelby Forest was another place that held them. And, uh, they trapped the heck out of Shelby Forest. That's most of the turkeys in Tennessee. Yep. If you could track their DNA, I, I guarantee it would go back to Shelby Forest. Came out of Frazier, Tennessee. <laughs> that's right. right. That's right. Well, that's a cool deal, man. What a story. So back to that early days of when he was popping out those first calls, what other call brands were out there? Who else was making calls at that time? It, it was it had to Not be a, a small guy, I mean, group of guys. You had, you had the original um, patented box call was a Gibson box call. Yep. Um, and he his design was based off of a Gibson initially, and then it's um, really improved on it. Yep. Um, just like if you – not to talk about the calls, but if you, if you find an original old Gibson, I love it for the history of what it is. Sure. But if you call on one today, they generally don't call. That's right. And you'll make a little noise or whatever. You find an old Turpin, they'll play. Yeah. And, but just improvements. He tried everything. He was, um, any kind of little subtle change. He was constantly changing woods, trying to find the, the, you know, best combinations, yep. um, uh, on a Yelper, you know, internal bores. He was the first one to do a, you know, the big craze today is the trumpet yep. Yelper. And he, all these modern trumpets are basically a variation on a theme. They're just copies of ours. Yeah. Right. And they may look different on the outside or the internal slightly different, but there was a time where, um, you would hear a, you know, a trumpet call that anybody made would be referred to as a Turpin Yelper as a generic for that style. That's right. And so now, yeah. now it's kind of coming more that they, they they're dropping that and just saying trumpet. Yeah. But, um, Jim Cassidy even wrote, uh, outdoor writer yep. wrote that pretty much a, a telltale sign of the, the influence that they had is that it's not just the actual call made by the family, but a style of call. Mm -hmm. So like a Turpin box or a Turpin Yelper, everybody knows what that style of call is. Right. Right. Very cool. But, 
but but he experimented you know with with everything you know like i said and and uh the the turn barrel yelpers came as an extension from wing bones and uh jordan yelper which is all cane or cane with a wing bone mouthpiece yeah and uh, and i tell everybody those are good calls but um a wing bone is the way god creates the turkey everything every bone is different that's right you know some holes are bigger than others and it all affects sound that's right so a, a trumpet uh turpin yelper is basically a wing bone of controlled dimensions that's right so you're going to get a consistent sound if you cut it to spec yep yep well and i've, I've noticed that too you know i've I, I built a a little wing bone out of a bird i killed this past year and 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 like you said, every turkey's going to sound different. Gobblers, yep. you know, hens, jakes, whatever, they're all, you're going to get a different sound. So you're not, you know, you can't go into business trying to make one consistent sound with that, doing those, you know, but what you've come up with, that trumpet is consistent call. And that's what I was going to ask you. What are those materials they use then uh, to what it looks like now uh, today, the ones you're making? Um, you know, the early ones, they, they would put wing bones in, some of them for a mouthpiece some of the earliest ones and, and, and I still occasionally will do that. Somebody will want one kind of a throwback. Yeah. But, um, really the woods are the same. Uh, I've expanded with, with some different exotics. Um, but they, they use Cocobolo and, and, uh, purple heart, another name for it's amaranth. Yeah. And, uh, those were two of the big woods and, and they were limited somewhat by availability to get some of these exotics where it's more of a global market now. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, as long as it's a hard high density wood, that's going to project the sound, it, it's, it's going to be a good wood for, for a trumpet. Um, softer woods, you can actually, I can feel it when I call you, you can, um, they tend to want to absorb the sound. Yeah. It's like a, a actual trumpet in a marching band. That sound you hear those trumpets because they project. That's right. You know. Yep. Yep. So, so that's what you want. But they turned bone mouthpieces, and then um, they went. Ended up going to a synthetic mouthpiece, and that's that's what I mostly use now. And right. you know, prior to 2016, I could even make some out of. Uh, uh, buy some estate um elephant ivory oh wow made some of that, but they they changed the laws on that so i, I yeah. can't do that anymore but yeah that's why but, uh, yeah but i mean it's it's a, there's a lot of a lot of different good good different woods and um and they work i mean it's uh yeah. it's a sound that that turkeys don't hear a lot yep uh everybody's after calling on a diaphragm and and so it's and they definitely respond to it i mean i'm i tell everybody i'm a turkey hunter first and foremost and you know i take great pride in producing a call and then next thing you know that they tell me i've been after this turkey for two years and first time i took it out your call i killed him yeah yeah i mean that's that's a great feeling absolutely so, and, and you think that steve you think that's that's largely because 
that's a sound that he's not heard. He's heard every box out there that somebody picked up at Walmart. He's heard all the mouth call, wannabe mouth callers. Uh, but then they come in with such a unique sound on this little trumpet of this wing bone. So and it's realistic. It, it's yeah. it's got to have something to do with the frequency yeah. of the sound, too. Uh, it's a sound they don't hear a lot. It's But, I mean, you know, it's it's all turkey. I mean, I've called up. Gosh, I mean, I've called up coyotes coming into them and bobcats and other hunters and, yep. you know, totally fool them. And, yep. but it's a, you know, it's a sound they don't necessarily hear like just getting pounded with everybody using a mouth call or everybody using a Walmart box call, yep. you know, that kind of, kind right. of thing. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and when you, like you said, regardless of how good some of those other people sound or, or how bad they sound, whatever the, it, uh, done right. That trumpet is, is just Turkey. Like you said, it's pure Turkey and it, I mean, it just sounds so good. And, uh, it's a sound you won't get well, anywhere else. It's good. And it's knowing what, what call to make and when to make it. I was, I was hunting with a, a landowner one time and had turkeys answering us. We had set up in a little strip field. Turkey came out about 150 yards away and was just walking across and he saw us i mean he saw the decoy and but but just kept going and i eased that yelper up under my face mask and i just did a little three as soft as i could little yep 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 yeah and he gobbled blew up in strut and then and then worked his way up there and my landowner killed him yeah and he said you know he said i really learned something he said you didn't have to call loud he said when you did that little Three note call solved. He said everything changed. I said that's yep. right. Yep. So. Yep. Well, I think we misunder you know underestimate the the ears on those turkeys, man. How well they can hear, man. It's, oh, they can uh, hear you. Yeah, the softest, subtlest sounds. We think, man, they, that's they're not hearing that. And you just watch that head pop up across the field there, yep. and they're they're that's getting right. it. They're getting it. And if you listen to actual hens out there. They do a lot of, I call it under your breath, yelping. Yep. They do a lot of that real, real low, soft, and those gobblers can hear that. Yeah. Yep. You know? No doubt about it. Tell me about that. the price of a turpin call back in the early days compared to now. What did that look like? What were they selling those trumpets for back in the... Oh, they were they were big bucks. So you could get, um, you could get a yelper in the 20s. For two dollars and fifty cents. My gosh! Yeah, uh, you could get a hen box for um, five dollars. Wow! And that was during the depression. Yeah, and and um, that's cool. That same call, five dollar call, now is worth upwards of five grand. Yeah, to collectors. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I've seen them. I've seen them sell six, seven thousand dollars. You know, just depending on what it is. Sure. You so, bet. but yeah, two two fifty and and uh, five dollars back in the roaring twenties and yeah. in, into the thirties. Yeah. Um, today I get uh, my Yelpers start out at one hundred twenty five. Yep. And uh, go up from there, and the box calls start at one seventy five. Go up from there. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. What do you have in your product line today that you still build and sell? So you've got the uh, the, the trumpets, yelpers, and then you've got box calls as well. 
Yeah, I've got two different styles of Yelpers. Uh, we've got the what I call the classic Turpin Yelper. I've got a Genie Bottle Yelper that, that I came up with. And um, slight difference in the internals. And um, um, it's more ornate on the outside. Has, um, you know, a bigger opening bell end um, and finger grooves that a lot of people like. Um, a lot of what controls the sound in a Yelper is the diameter of the hole okay. that goes in the mouthpiece. Okay. So I make three different size holes and, um, the, the larger the hole, the deeper the pitch, the higher, higher the pitch, the smaller the hole. So I, I have three different sizes, which are all within the range of a turkey's voice because there's some days that they may gobble to any and all of them, or they may like one pitch over another. That's right. What that gobbler wants that particular day. That's right. So, but anyway, I make those two style of, of trumpets. I make the standard turpin box call and I make the hen box, which is the handled box call that I was saying was originally $5. Yeah. And, uh, and I've also, um, last several years I've started making, uh, pot calls. We're okay. making mostly plates. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that keeps me pretty busy. Absolutely. Oh, I'll, bet. You know, I'll make a few, I'll make a few duck calls, uh, when I have time. And, but, uh, the Turkey call portion keeps me pretty hopping. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. How much is that box, that hen box? How much has it changed over the years? Is it still close to the same design or is it totally different nowadays? Or what's it, it look it, like? It's close to the same design. We made a few changes just, um, like the, the, the original box was a one piece box. Okay. So you had, the, you had the box and then the handle was all out of one piece of wood. Right. We put a handle on ours, but I peg it in there and, okay. and dad and I talked about this back in the nineties when we reintroduced the hen box in 1998 and said, we want to change it just a little bit. It doesn't affect the sound. But we also were aware that people are, some people are, are dishonest. Yeah. So we didn't want somebody taking one of our calls and making it, selling it to somebody, making it, trying to make it look old yeah. and then, and then sell it as an original. I got you. And so that's why we went to the, the peg handle, but, but it's pretty, pretty close. Yeah. Um, all the way around and, and especially the, uh, the standard box. Right. Yelp, everything's pretty, pretty true to design. Yeah. Very cool. Steve, if you got a call, uh, uh, a Yelper handy, a, a trumpet call yeah, handy, I you can sound up next to the phone, but yeah, uh, you may have to step back away from it or whatever, but man, give us a little medley of sounds there on what you got. if you could tell much by that over the yeah man no sounds good it's got that rhythm it's got the uh just that cadence and everything man that sounds so good and well it's and it's funny it sounds even better out in the woods when it's that sound going down through the trees yeah it it really 
yep. sounds good. That's what I've always liked about that particular call is it, it what you just said. It sounds better when you step away from that sound, and, man, it, it just got a sweet, sweet sound to it. What's the – What's the, your basics? Give me your kind of your top tips or your basics for learning to use that call or, or just kind of explain the process, if you will, because I know what happens. A lot of people say, man, that sounds good. That's awesome. I want one of those. Or they see some of these different guys on YouTube popping up and got a yelp around their neck, and they think, man, that does sound good. And we talk about the fact that it's it's a unique sound, and, and so somebody's liable to go out there and buy one or hopefully call you up and order one. What what's the basics of that Yelper? You know, with the trumpet style call. What are people doing? How do you make that sound? Well, it's it's a suction type call. So I have a lip stopper on there. So once you find the where it actually fits into your mouth, and it's the right mouthpiece level, like I said, you can adjust the lip stopper shallow or deeper depending on thin or thick lips. Yep. And you want the, your lips actually create a seal over the tip of the mouthpiece. Yep. So when you're drawing your breath in kind of a smacking motion for lack of a better, um, the natural vibration of your lips is what's causing the sound to go through the call. Kind of like a reed would. Yeah. Lips basically becoming a reed. Gotcha. And so when you, when you're, when you're doing that in the sound goes through the call and then your hand positioning on the end of the bell makes a big difference. Right. So you'll up it and you'll kind of make a funnel with your hands yep. and if you're, and it's, it, you know, I have people say, Oh, that's difficult to call on. And it's really not the, um, we've found that the, the easiest people to teach are kids that yeah. come up at these shows because they come with an open mind yep. and they just do what you tell them to do. That's right. And I've had kids calling within five minutes, you know, 10 year old kids pick it up and they're calling well enough to call within five minutes of instruction. That's right. And yeah. The more they practice, the better they're going to get. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they come with a middle block to start with. And I've had, you know, it's funny. Some people pick it up naturally and are calling great with it in no time. Other people struggle with it at first. Uh, but if you stick with it, you will learn it. I've got several customers who were pretty rough when they first started out. Yeah. I put them up against anybody in the country now. They're, I mean, they're, they're really good callers. Right, right. But the biggest mistake that people make, I'll hear um, somebody say, yeah, I was sounding really good on it last year. When I got it out of the drawer this year, um, I was having tr- – so you just answered my question. That's right. So I was a musician. If I went eight months without practicing, that's right. I'm not going to be very good. Yep. You know? That's so it. it. It is a call that I tell everybody you need to practice – five minutes a day or minimum of 15 minutes a week yep. all during the year. You'd be yeah. a good caller. That's right. And that, you know, you think about it, Steve, that's, that's true of every, everything instrument out there. Like you said, you're not yeah. going to, you can't pick your guitar up and, and go, you know, sit around the campfire. If you hadn't touched it in years, you know, you, whatever instrument that's out there, it would be unheard of for that musician to 
leave it sitting for a year, pick it and think, man, I don't sound very good on this. I can't figure this out. It's just not working. You've got to practice yeah. that thing every day. Mouth call, trumpet, whatever. Uh, spending that time and, and picking it up a week or two before the season ain't going to cut it. You got to get it down, and it's an instrument. That's the beauty of that thing. It's, it's, it's they're, an they're little musical instruments. Is exactly what they are. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, but just just a little practice goes a long way. You don't have to practice every day. You don't have to, you know. I mean, yeah. I'm telling you to practice two hours a day, seven days a week. No, right. Five five minutes a day or fifteen minutes a week. Yep. yep. And it's going to keep you, you know. Your lips. Here, here's another thing. People will say, man, the more I practice, the worse I get. Right. And I know what's causing that. So I tell people, I said, if, if you're, if you pick it up and you're calling and you're practicing and you start making mistakes on it, so put the call down. Yeah. Yeah. Pick it up the next day. What, what's happening is your lips are getting fatigued. You're getting musicians, numb. Yeah. <laughs> musicians call it building your chops. You got muscles yeah. in your lips. Yeah, I've done so, that. Just trying to learn to learn it. I drove my family crazy last year when I put that little wing bone together, and and uh, it's a it's a cool sound, a unique sound. Is that your go to? Like, are you going to have that around? You know, opening day of turkey season. I, I always you, you laugh at me. Uh, uh, I don't use a mouth call. Yep. Uh, at all. Okay. Um, I hunt with a yelper and a box call. Now I may have two or three different yelpers, different sounds. Right. around my neck yep. you know, I may carry two box calls with me different sounds and i'll do a, a slight call a little bit but my bread and butter is is uh boxing a yelper man that's what i grew up yep. hunting with and and got total confidence in them sure you know sure hard to beat that box too that's a that's a sweet sounding sweet sounding call when you got a good one it's uh that box is pretty tough on them high day oh, windy yeah. days you know cutting that wind and people people ask me what you know what do you kill more box or yelper i was like i, I don't i don't know yeah <laughs> i kill them with both you know and they um uh, and, and then some birds you you work them with both calls so yep, yep absolutely uh, yeah what's your what's the rest of your gear look like what are you toting for a gun these days for turkey i have been shooting for the last uh, whatever, three or four years, um, a Benelli M two twenty gauge. Okay. Yep. Um, and I'm shooting, uh, nitro company ammunition out of Missouri, yep. uh, TSS. Okay. And that is a wicked, wicked yeah. load. Yeah. I've not and, messed uh, with the nitros yet. I need to check that out. Um, I've, I've actually shot their shells for 26 years. Well, in various forms, you know, we started out, I was shooting nickel plated lead and then went to heavy shot. Mm -hmm. And then the heavy shot so outperformed the lead. It wasn't even funny. Right. And TSS is to heavy shot. What heavy shot was, was to, to lead. lead. Yeah. It, it, it blows my mind, man. And I'm like you, we started packing a 20 gauge the last several years and, uh, and then even a 410 and, and, more recently and so uh the, the tss lows my gosh man we i shot a gobbler at 40 yards with the 410 uh year before yeah. last you know it, it's just it's so cool and then you you know the little 20 gauge i got i, I kind of built it uh it's a little mossberg 
uh, youth model, but I put an adjustable stock on it so my kids can shove it up to their shoulder. I can pull it out and, and get it to mine, and the thing weighs five pounds, you know, maybe. And, I mean, so it's just so – it's several pounds lighter than the 12-gauge I towed it to the woods. And you can go all day running and gunning, don't know you got the gun on your back. Yet, that 20-gauge, I mean, you can reach out there about as far as you – you know, ethically should, you know, shoot a turkey. It's just crazy. And so, you know, I'm not into trying to stretch it and see how far you can. That's right. A turkey. That's right. But the, the thing I like about the nitros is that you have enough. If, if you misjudge in a field, right. And you're like that turkey's 40 yards yep. and you shoot him and then you go out there to him, you get a better perspective of how, truly far out and it's like wow that was more than 40 and then you end up using you know stepping it off or whatever and it's 55 or 60 yards yep i can still kill it all day long yep all day long and and so you know i was amazed um i the farthest i've killed a turkey with that 20 gauge has been 50 yards yeah and but i killed a coyote a legitimate 60 yards with a 20 gauge number 89 TSS. Mm, yeah. And I mean, hammered. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't believe this. You yeah. Know? That's working on them. And that's, that's the, again, the beauty of it. And I'm like you, you know, to me, it's all about getting that bird in close. I want to get him where I see his eyeballs blinking. I enjoy getting him close. That's where I feel like I'm, I, I, you know, I'm like you. I love to call. And so I love to, that's to me, well, it's yeah, a reward like, getting him in there. You know, a couple of years ago, I, you know, I was laughing. I said, yeah, I, I, I get these souped up shells. And you know, back when Tennessee had a four bird limit, I said, you know, that, that particular year, I said, I killed my four birds. And the uh, farthest shot I took was 20 yards. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, I could have killed him with a double load, but That's right. you know, yeah, um, but it's but good. It, yeah. Well, again, I'm not, I, I don't care anything about shooting them at 70 yards. You know, I got buddies, I man, I can kill one. I can shoot a bird to 70 or 80 yards with this. Well, me, to me, that's not the game in the name of the game. If I've done that, then I haven't done my job to call it up close. I've not called that bird in as far as I'm concerned with that. But again, where it, it does play in for me is not to know, Hey, I shot him at 25 and because I had such a tight load, uh, he's hopping and flopping and, and, and rolling out there at 60, 70, almost about to get away. You get away, then I can, you know, know, hey, I still got some reach. You know, I can pop him that follow-up shot or whatever because I miss a lot myself personally. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, knowing you have that backup shot, knowing you got that coyote standing there at 60 or 70 and you can work on him, uh, that just that just helps level the playing field a little bit there. So it's a cool oh, yeah. opportunity for sure. Steve, tell us where they can find your calls, man. Where can guys find the trumpets, the boxes, and all the good stuff? Well, you can reach me at um, – I have a website at TurpinCustomGameCalls.com. Yep. And then I have a uh, I have a pretty big presence on Facebook. Okay. And, and I'm on there a lot. Um, you can join my group, which is also TurpinCustomGameCalls.com. Good deal. Man, I appreciate your time today. It's been good catching up with you. And one of these days we need to – run around chase a west tennessee turkey together so that let, sounds good let's make it happen dude really appreciate your time and uh encourage our listeners to get over there and check out uh turpin calls and and the long long history that's going on with them to today still killing turkeys and so steve thank you a bunch man appreciate you all right thank you i appreciate it all right guys that's going to wrap things up it's always good catching up with steve turpin the dude is full of turkey knowledge and old school turkey history he's got it he's got the photos and just the 
uh, collectibles, antiques, old school calls. He's got some cool stuff uh, in his lineup of goods. And I know we're going to catch back up with him later on, talk more on the history of turkey hunting uh, in the South and across the country. Really, really cool stuff from back in the day from him. So uh, be sure to check him out and all the stuff going on with Turpin Custom Calls. Lots of great things there for spring. Also, be sure to check out the HuntingRoots.com website. We actually just posted some T-shirts there uh, just recently. Some of our event shirts from the past events, camps, programs we've done. We've got some shirts there. So if you're looking for a screaming deal on a cool T-shirt, we've got some there. Uh, trying to get rid of those, clear those out, get ready for some new stuff coming in. Also, while you're there, be sure to check out the Hunting Roots Turkey Camps coming up real soon in just the month ahead. We're looking forward to these camps. If you know of a young person, friend, family member, young man, young woman, ages 10 to 15 that need to be a part of these camps, we've got some killer camps coming. Mississippi and Tennessee. The Mississippi camp is open to boys aged 10 to 15. Our Tennessee camp, we've got the facilities to accommodate boys and girls, so we'll be taking boys and girls 10 to 15. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. We are fired up, looking forward to a great weekend. These are preseason teach and train events designed to teach young people, young men, young women, how to turkey hunt, how to fall in love with the game of turkey hunting and just the addiction that will soon ensue when they get fired up for turkeys in the springtime. And uh, again, whether you're a beginner or whether you're a seasoned turkey hunter, these kids will have a big time and learn at all different levels. And so it's going to be a great time. So be sure to check that out. Again, spread the word to someone you know, a friend, a family member, uh, someone from church, whatever it is that has a kid that may be interested in this, send them to the huntingroots.com website and uh, man, they'll find out all about it. It's going to be a great time. We're looking forward to that. Take a few minutes, if you will, to uh, leave us a comment. Give us a rating, a five-star rating, if you will. And we do appreciate your time. Always good catching up with you. We appreciate you hanging out with us each week here for the Hunting Roots Podcast. We'll see you next week. Shoot straight. God bless.